Well, amen, huh? Amen. Hey, just a, uh, another quick reminder, uh, Joanna Setnis and her senior recital this Thursday, 7 p.m., Dixon Ministry Center at uh, the recital hall there at the university. So if you can turn out for that, you'd be greatly encouraged and she would be blessed. So uh, 7 o'clock this uh, Thursday night. Now, again, tonight's going to be a little different than normal because, you know, we just had the annual business meeting and a lot of the times the elders ask me to give kind of a state of the church address. And so that's what I'm going to do. It's not going to be so much of an exposition of a specific text, although we're going to open God's word, but just some thoughts um, on some things I think we should be thankful for, some things I think we should consider as we uh, move forward. forward. And, and I said some of this just previous, but, but I'll say it again. First of all, I think we're obviously thankful to the Lord and his continual blessing in this fellowship. Amen. I mean, this place is just buzzing. And uh, we're thankful for, for that. We're thankful for the numerical growth that, that the Lord has sent. But not just that. We're thankful for the people that God has sent. Uh, some of you are, and you can decide whether you fall into this category or not, but some of you are just tremendous people. <laughs> I've just really gotten and really enjoyed over the last year or two years to get know, to know some of you new people who have been coming. It's just been a tremendous blessing to me uh, and, and to others, uh, those who love the truth. Those who love Christ, uh, those uh, people have been a tremendous blessing. More and more people joining us in formal fe- uh, mem- membership. Many of you serving in a variety of different fashions in uh, this body. And I'm very thankful for that. And for those who are not uh, serving currently, you really need to consider that because we're going to have to, we need more and more help as more and more people come and more and more uh, needs uh, arise in the fellowship. So everybody should be serving somewhere. I think it's wonderful to be in a fellowship that genuinely loves not only Christ, but genuinely loves each other, right? And and serves each other and reaches out in in a variety of different fashions to each other. Several of you have told me that you've been encouraged by that tremendously. You feel like this is the first time perhaps you've ever been a part of a quote-unquote real church. Uh, The first time that uh, really you're part of a fellowship that loves each other and loves Christ, loves the truth. And I think for those of us who are here who've kind of uh, set the tone for that. It really speaks volumes of your love for the Savior, uh, your desire to honor him by serving him and serving others. And, and obviously with uh, the Lord sending so many new people, we have some things we're trying to work through, some challenges, how to accommodate uh, everyone in this space that we have, which is limited. Uh, again, I've said it a couple times, but it looks pretty certain like we're, we're going to go to two services at the top of the year, uh, probably somewhere around the 15th of January. Uh, but that's okay because we want to be able to minister to the people that God continues to send to be part of our fellowship and send to the teaching of the word. Um, we who have been here for a while, we've had a part opportunity to do that for some time now. So uh, we want to just give other people opportunities to grow and to mature in their faith, their knowledge of, and their love for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and as I just said previously also, we need to continue to pray for wisdom on how to deal with some of these issues, uh, especially our children's ministry. Two services isn't going to solve our problems with some of the space needs that we have in our children's ministry. But again, we've got a group of people, as Bob mentioned the last hour, that are trying to work through those issues So, uh, to the best of their ability. So you you pray for them. Pray for God's leading in this whole uh, uh, situation. I'm thankful very much for the spiritual growth I can continue to see in uh, many of you. As the Holy Spirit takes his word and applies it into your life, uh, the more that you sit under the teaching of the word of God, the more that you see... Uh, that you're encouraged and challenged and shaped and formed by God's truth, transformed. Uh, the more and more we all uh, become conformed to the image of Christ, we grow in Christ-like likeness and like-mindedness with Christ. We grow in our love for Christ and our love for the Word and even more so for our love uh, for each other. And that's uh, really encouraging to me. Uh, I've uh, I mentioned of it several times to different people, uh, but I'm so encouraged when I see people who have come here to the fellowship and uh, the situation that they've come from previously perhaps is not the best and they come here and over a period of time when they sit under the teaching of the word and they sit uh, with you just enjoying fellowship with you and listen to you how their countenance has changed and and their lights have have beamed and I I just brings great encouragement to my heart and uh, uh, makes me want to come back every week you know just to, to be a part of that so and I really think we're all blessed to be a part of the time, the period of time we are here at Cornerstone Bible Church. Again, all because of God's kindness and his faithfulness to us as his people. 
um, as we just try to be faithful everywhere, across every one of our venues, just to teach the truth and, and get out of the way. So we should thank him for that. I mean, it's a tremendous uh, blessing. Uh, we have a fairly large group of people, and we all seem to fairly well get along with each other, and we love each other, love the truth, love Christ. And, and so I don't know that that happens a lot. Uh, and again, we should never take that for granted. So I'm thankful to the Lord, and I know you are also. So he gets all the praise for anything that uh, is done well here. Now, obviously, we're living in times that are uh, troubling. Uh, we have no idea really what awaits for us in the future, uh, but we can be thankful we know the one who does. Amen? We know him, and that's tremendously encouraging. Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in the heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Psalm 47, verse 2, the Lord most high is to be feared, the great king over all the earth. Verse 7 of that chapter, for, the king, for God is the king of the earth. Verse 8, God reigns over the nations and sits on his holy throne. Isaiah 46, verse 9, I am, the God, there, I am God, there's no other. I am God, there's no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. We can, I said it often, we can go to bed at night. We don't have to worry about it. It's not ours to worry about. Nebuchadnezzar came to a realization that he wasn't in charge of all the events. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. It says, in order that the living may know that the Most High is the ruler over the realm of mankind, bestows on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. He says, recognize that the heaven rules, right? Recognize it's heaven that rules, and that's what we all need to do. Right? We, we just uh, realize that uh, uh, we're, we're living in times of uh, uh, great upheaval. Uh, and inflation is on the rise. Prices are going up. Uh, there's trouble everywhere, conflict, racial conflict, rioting, looting. Destruction, cities being burned down before our eyes. Crime rates, murder rates are at all-time highs. I have leaders of uh, our cities at the same time wanting to defund the police and then uh, arrest law-abiding citizens, and then anarchy seemingly kind of reigns uh, everywhere. There's a wicked, satanic agenda that is very much uh, in front and afloat in, in the culture, uh, assaulting our children. Uh, the the uh, sexualization of all of our children, the, all the transgender madness, all the physical mutilation of uh, kids that are going on being promoted as so-called, quote-unquote, compassionate care. It, it's nothing more than demonically wicked evil, and we should call it for what it is. It's demonically wicked evil. The assault on our kids, the, the assault on the Word of God. God said he made man male and female. All of this transgender stuff I've told you previously is really an assault on the family, not only the Word of God, but it's an assault on the family. It's trying to bring division, ultimate division, ultimate destruction. And seemingly one political party in this country stands at the front of all of it, promoting it with their top priority, their own political agenda, by words of the president himself, the murder of unborn children. That's his top primary issue in the next, uh, uh, after the next election to codify the murder of children in the womb, and then to continue uh, the mutilation of our children. It is unheard of wicked evil, and we need to call it for what it is. There are lies everywhere. There's no place for truth. Perversion of all kind being accepted and promoted as normal across the country. Family values again under attack. School curricula and popular culture again leading the assaults on our children and sexual confusion and warped ideas of personal identity. And it just goes on and on. And if you dare to speak up against any of it, the spirit of the age is going to come and have you immediately labeled as a racist or marginalized or have you canceled, fired from your job, uh, accused of being guilty of hate crimes. There's ever-increasing fear of nuclear war, ever-increasing fear of famine. I don't know, I was telling the elders this morning, I just heard one report last week that says in about... 15 days or 25 days, I can't remember, we run out of diesel. See how that works for you. Right? See how that works when the entire economy comes to a halt, if that's exactly what happens, right? I mean, so they're trying times everywhere. I don't need to go on the list. I mean, you know it very well. Dark times. We, we've been talking about this on Sunday morning. We live in times that are, uh, are wicked and evil and dark, but we're still called as God's people not to be fearful. We're not to be troubled in heart. We're called not, commanded not to be anxious because God is in absolute control. He's in control of every aspect of everything in this world. Again, not only our own lives, but around the entire world. He has a whole thing planned. It's all headed to a perfect end 
that he has ordained for it even in the midst of the sin and rebellion of mankind. Because God is God. God God is absolutely in control of every single molecule in the universe. Again, that allows us to lay our heads down at night and go to sleep. Don't be worried. Don't don't be fearful. Because being anxious or fearful is not going to solve one of the problems. None of your personal problems or the world's problems. And all being anxious does, all being fearful does, all worry does is it indicates a lack of trust in God and his wisdom. It indicates a lack of trust in God's sovereignty, his power, a lack of trust in God's providential control over our lives, a lack of trust in his goodness and all the events, again, in this world that are overseen by his goodness. The Puritans used to say that the doctrine of providence, which is basically the doctrine that God in his goodness directs all the affairs, right? In his wisdom, his goodness, his love, he directs, for, he directs all the affairs of mankind and he cares for everybody. The Puritans used to say the doctrine of providence is the soft pillow for anxious heads. And he says uh, what happens is when we worry is we become fearful or we lose confidence in the person of God because of circumstances or situations. And when we do that, we're losing confidence again in the doctrine of God's providence and we're not trusting him. We're not trusting his nature, his care, and that's sin. And we need to realize that. So how are we to live in this world? Well, to start off with, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. There's a couple different passages we're going to look at tonight, but this is going to be the one we kind of start off in. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Paul told the Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. So the day in which we live, they're they're trying times, right? But but they're not unprecedented times. In the portion of Scripture I just read, Paul says in his day that he lived in a crooked and perverse generation. So again, it's a term that not only applies to Paul's day, but our day, most certainly. And, And again, that phrase just obviously describes unfaithfulness, rebelliousness, from unsaved, corrupt humanity. A crooked and perverse generation, the word crooked is from the word scolios. It refers to that which is bent or curved, twisted. Medically, it refers to an abnormal curvature or misalignment of the spine. So uh, metaphorically, it means anything that deviates from the standard of norm. And in the scripture, it's often used of things that are morally or spiritually corrupt. Crooked and then perverse, that has the same basic idea of scolios, but it's more active, it's more dynamic in form. Uh, Jesus spoke uh, of this in Matthew 17, of an unbelieving and perverted generation. On the island of Patmos, uh, 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 Paul excoriated a magician, a false uh, prophet named Bar-Jesus, and saying, You are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? For several years, Paul warned the elders at Ephesus that from among your own selves, men will arise up speaking perverse things to draw them away or to draw away the disciples after them. So it's crooked and perverseness, right? Crookedness and perversity in the modern world and in Paul's world. And obviously crookedness and perversity in our world is pervasive because most of the culture has departed radically and distorted God's word, departed from God's word and deviated from God's standard. So the whole thing's crooked. And this is where we all live. It was the church. Just like in Paul's day, they, he didn't live near a crooked and perverse world. He, he lived right in the middle of it. Inescapably so. Continually, vividly barraged by vile vileness, vile language, ideas, vile ideas, vile practices. And for the believer, I think, in the time in which we live, probably to a degree that believers in earlier times never encountered because of that thing in your pocket called the cell phone that instantly connects us with everything across the world, right? In a moment, the computer. So obviously in a crooked and perverse generation, there are lots of people who don't know Christ. People who are facing uh, eternal destruction, eternal wrath. 
People who are perishing, just like Paul told the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 says, If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Uh, Apolumai is the word there. It means they're given over to eternal destruction. Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's the world in which we live. Those are people around us in that world, living in that world, coming out of that world. And again, we're living in this world with people around us who've had the gospel veiled. They can't see the glory of Christ. People who are foolish and disobedient, deceived, and enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending their life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Those who are dead in trespasses and sins, those who walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, living in the lusts of their flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and of our nature, children of wrath. Right? All headed towards eternal misery. Now, in this world that is crooked and perverse, we need to remember that in this world, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We as believers. Ephesians 6, verse 12, Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Paul's saying, look, our enemies out there, the enemies around us are really not the unbelievers. Uh, The struggle, again, it's not against flesh and blood. The struggle, the battle lies in this culture beyond the physical. Uh, The battle that we're a part of in this crooked and perverse generation is a war that's not a physical war, but it's a spiritual war. Ephesians 6, 12, before our struggle is not against flesh and blood, and blood, and he goes on and says, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, all ranks of angelic beings. So the battle that we're a part of is a spiritual battle. Therefore, that means it has to be fought on that level with spiritual weapons. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 2, he says, be strong, here it is, in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord, be empowered in the Lord in the strength of his might or in his power. We, we don't fight the battle that we're a part of that's going on raging around us with our own resources. Our, our strength comes from the Lord. He says in Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes. Methodia is the word, the schemes, the cunning arts, the deceit, the trickery, the craftiness of the devil. The devil is very adept. He's been working at it for quite a period of time now. He's pretty good at what he does. And his subtlety and his cunning, his wiliness, his uh, trickery. He is an expert schemer. He's shrewd. He's devious. He employs careful plans, careful methodology, strategies, specifically to entrap and to bring down men. He promotes all kinds of ideas and ideologies, all kinds of false philosophies, false religious systems that look attractive, but in reality... They're deadly because they lead people away from the truth and the error. So the scripture calls us as believers not to be ignorant of him and not to be ignorant of his schemes. We're commanded not to be taken advantage by him. Because he always comes as an angel of light trying to manipulate our mind away from the truth and the error. That's why Peter says, 1 Peter 1, 13, Therefore gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The mind is the battlefield. What we think, what we believe. And that's why there's so many warnings, I think, in the New Testament concerning false teachers, false teaching. Because in this crooked and perverse generation, there's many of them. And in this crooked and perverse generation, there's an absolute war against the truth. The Lord Jesus said of the devil and his followers, John 8 and 44, the devil was the murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own nature. He's a liar and the father of lies. Again, when the devil speaks, he never speaks truth, ever. He always twists truth. He always perverts truth. He always tries to speak. He speaks lies, but he always tries to pass it off as truth, right? With his uh, false teachers. And all the false teachers, all the false prophets are are really Satan's ambassadors. With the intent of intentionally trying to mislead men. That's why John says in 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So those who are apart from Christ in this world are in a desperate condition. 
Therefore, it's vital for us to understand that. It's vital for us to have our minds girded, protected, lifted up, renewed, informed by the truth. Why? Because he's already blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Right? He's already blinded the minds of the unbelieving. They may not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And we are commanded not to be taken captive by his lies and by his schemes. We are to protect ourselves, and the only way that we can protect ourselves is to know the truth. Understand the truth. Stand on the truth. Fight for the truth. So again, as believers, <clears throat> excuse me, living in difficult, difficult times in a crooked, perverse generation, we have to realize that, again, there are evil men out there promoting evil kinds of ideas, but really the issue is not them so much as the one behind them, the evil one who's encouraging them, the one, evil one who's orchestrating them, the one who's empowering them, really manipulating them. On an earthly level, the people around us that are promoting ideas that are against God and against Christ are really not our enemies because, again, the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not this political party or that political party or this office holder or that office holder. The spiritual battle is really against Satan and his lies. All the things that we see in the culture are nothing more really than the symptoms manifesting of a disease corruption that is deep within the heart of man. It's a battle against Satan and his lies and his liars. It's an ideological battle that is all around us. And again, it's a war for truth, a war against the truth. Hold, hold your spot right there and, and then just turn over to 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> just back a couple of pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now again, note the language. It's war. If somewhere along the way somebody signed you up for cruise ship Christianity and things are going to be fun and happy, but you got on the wrong boat. Right? We're in a war. We do not walk in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. <clears throat> there's a war going on around us on a spiritual level, and the battlefields, uh, 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 battlefields throughout the world have historically been strewn with, uh, strewn with the remains of humans uh, who uh, were wrecked, many of them courageous, but they were poorly equipped soldiers. So we don't want to be a part of that wreckage, right? We need to understand the battle. We need to fight this, again, a spiritual battle, not with human weapons or human ingenuity, because it's a spiritual war against forces of spiritual darkness. Going on all around us, again, it's against the truth. And the demonic forces that are really behind this evil world system and the evil world rulers, it's not just those men out in front or those women, it's who's pulling their strings, as it were, uh, behind them. So we can't fight in this war according to the flesh, we can't fight according to human wisdom or plans or strategies or skills or eloquence. Uh, those are not effective weapons against uh, the forces of the kingdom of darkness. And none of these kind of things can rescue sinners from the domain of darkness. None of these kind of things, none of this human kind of wisdom or plan, strategies, whatever, can transform a believer into Christ's likeness, nor protect the believer from Satan's lie. We need help, heavenly help, divine help, divinely powerful help that destroys Satan and his lies. Verse 4, it says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but again, divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So fortresses or strongholds, depending on your uh, translation, uh, is a metaphor. And again, they would have completely understood this in the, in the, uh, the Corinthian culture because Corinth has a hill, and on, like most, most cities on a hill, there's a fortress on top of that city to protect the city. And the residents could flee to that fortress when there was a threatened attack. But this very same idea of fortress or stronghold, the very same uh, idea could be referring to a prison. So it could be a place not only of refuge, but it could be a place of death or a tomb if you were overrun by the enemy and you couldn't escape. So in the context here, our weapons of warfare are not for the flesh, but divinely powerful uh, for the destruction of fortresses. Uh, and the, in the context here, fortresses aren't demons per se, but again, it's their ideologies. They're false ideologies that men and women believe as the demons propagate. First uh, Timothy 4.1 says, The Spirit explicitly says in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. 
And I think what you have to understand is all false teaching doesn't originate with men, but all false teaching originates with Satan and his demons. Deceitful spirit and doctrines of demons. So what Paul is saying here is that there are doomed souls that are trapped in Satan's ideological fortresses. And those ideological fortresses have become their prison and eventually they're going to become their tomb if they're not delivered from them. And the only way they can be delivered from them is to be delivered by the truth. They need to believe in the truth. Verse 5, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So speculations, arguments, thoughts, ideas, reasoning, philosophies, false religions. These are the ideological forts that men barricade themselves in against God and against the gospel. And every lofty thing is every unbiblical system of thought that exalts error over the truth. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. So again, the battle that we're engaged in all around us on a spiritual level is not a battle with demons. We don't confront demons. We don't talk to demons. But the battle is the, the minds of the people that are being held captive to Satan's lies. Lies that are exalted over and above Scripture or in opposition to the Scripture. Useless reasonings, all anti-biblical ideologies, all false religions, all pseudo-gospels. And again, there's a spiritual battle out there in which there's countless numbers of individuals who are being held captive by the devil himself. They're victims of his lies. They're victims of the spiritual war that's going on against the truth. Those who have believed his lies, his half-truths, over against the truth and over against the true knowledge of the true God. So again, Paul knew that. Paul just didn't know that um, uh, by way of being in the culture. He knew that prison of ideological fortresses because he was one who was trapped in one himself for a good portion of his life. Right? He was a zealous follower of apostate Judaism until he met the living, risen Lord Jesus Christ. And it was the power of God and the mercy of God that utterly destroyed that false fortress that he had built and walled himself against the truth in. And then he was led captive out of that darkness to the person of Jesus Christ. So again, there's countless numbers of individuals all around us that are trapped in all kinds of false satanic ideologies, false philosophies, psychologies, world religions, cults, apostate forms of Christianity, uh, evolutionary naturalism, which is probably the predominant a fortress in the Western world today that says there's no God. Congratulations, you showed up over a long period of time caused by no one and nothing, and that's what's responsible for everything we see, right? No one times 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 nothing is responsible for everything. And then when people act like that, we go, why are they acting like animals? I don't know. This evolutionary naturalism that denies reality all around us that denies the existence of a personal God. It's wreaking havoc upon our culture. Because God has been shut out of every venue of public life and social policy and in our courts. Biblical morality no longer has an effect on the culture on a whole, and wickedness and depravity has really taken over. But again, as believers, we're called to represent Christ in this world. And we can't see really unbelievers around us as our enemy because, I've said it before, but they're really our mission field. As Satan continues to rise up lies against the knowledge of God. So the goal of our warfare is to help rescue those who are trapped in these satanic fortresses. And again, the only thing that can help people who are trapped in satanic fortresses is what? The truth. The truth. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians 6, verse 17. The only thing that can rescue anybody from the domain of darkness and transfer a person out of that kingdom into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Christ, is the truth, the gospel. We are destroying speculation, every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Again, the only way to fight the battle around us that we're a part of in this war that is raging around us is the battle with uh, battle for the truth, is the battle with the truth. To understand the word of God, to know the word of God, and to know it ourselves And then, out of obedience to God and out of compassion for the lost, to take the word of God to those around us who are trapped in Satan's ideological fortresses and Satan's ideological lies. 
taking everything up captive. Again, emphasizing the total destruction of these fortresses and this human satanic wisdom. And again, rescuing people from these damning lies that are holding them enslaved and causing them to continue down the path of being uh, a perishing. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.24, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So the key, if you want, quote-unquote, the key to successful living in a crooked and perverse world, the key to successful spiritual warfare is to become proficient in the word, wielding the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Again, against the lies that people believe. And there's no way that we can be actively helpful or actively involved in this fight against error unless we on a personal level know the truth and understand the truth. Because it's only the power of the word of God that smashes these ideological lies and these false systems. That's why Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God into salvation, Jew first and also the Greek. Right? So the gospel is the power that sets men free. The gospel is God's power that wakens the dead and pulls them out of these ideological fortresses. That's why Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience, instruction, speaking these things that are fitting for sound doctrine. Again, it's the word of God, our only offensive weapon against error. Our only offensive weapon to protect ourselves from error and again to rescue those who are perishing. Now go back to Philippians chapter 2. Verse 14, and again the question, how do we live in a crooked, perverse generation? First, you unshield the sword. Right? You unshield the sword. It's the only thing, the the sword of the, the Spirit, the Word of God, it's the only thing that has converting power. You speak truth into your own life. You speak truth to yourselves. How many times have I said, stop listening to yourselves, but speak truth to yourselves? You speak truth to yourselves. You speak truth in love to all those around you who are trapped in these ideological fortresses, and you let God deal with the outcome. Unshield the sword. Then, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, grumbling is a negative response to something that's unpleasant, inconvenient, disappointing, and it arises from a wrong self-centered notion that it is undeserved. Where the truth is, we don't deserve anything from God, but his, pun- but his punishment for our sin. Disputing comes from a word that means dialogue. <clears throat> Pretty soon it developed into something a little more specific and is really questioning or doubting the truth of the matter. Uh, sometimes it's rendered as dissension. So a person who grumbles or a person who disputes is really grumbling or disputing against God. And when a person is grumbling and disputing against God, we're going directly against the truth that we say that we believe in, that God is sovereign over the affairs of mankind. One commentator says this, therefore it's always sinful for a believer to complain about anything the Lord calls him to do or about any circumstance they find themselves, in which they find themselves, which he sovereignly allows, whether the task is difficult or easy, whether the situation involves blessing or a trial. Negative attitudes, he says, are forbidden. It's always sinful for a believer to complain about anything. If you truly believe in the sovereignty of God. Well, that's not necessarily true. It's always sinful because the word says that, right? And God is sovereign. So again, we have to stop and ask ourselves, what kind of impact are we going to have in this war that's going going on around us for people who are perishing in these ideological fortresses if we leave the sword shielded shielded it in its sheath we don't pull it out and use it and what kind of an impact are we going to have if we're grumbling and complaining about everything what kind of impact does that have on the unbeliever around this 
What kind of an impact does that have on our, our testimony? When we say, again, we believe in God, we believe that there is a God that he's good, and you can trust him that he's in control of all things. Yet we're caught up in grumbling, complaining about our circumstances, the situation around us, to the demise, whatever it is, the demise of our culture, the, the rise in inflation, we're not getting our way, outcome of election, doesn't matter what it is, we're just grumbling and complaining. What kind of impact does that have on our efforts to rescue the lost and perishing that are again trapped in Satan's ideological fortresses and ideological lines? Answer, probably not a very good one. Probably not giving a very positive testimony uh, to uh, the truth we say we believe in and this wonderful, powerful uh, God. Not to mention, it's probably not helpful to our own countenance, our own well-being, just to be complaining all the time. There's probably an endless list of things you could complain about. In fact, verse 15 says the very thing about grumbling and complaining. Paul says this, look, it's not very helpful as an evangelistic tool. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, verse 15, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless, blameless and innocent, or pure and harmless, blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So again, believers have to stop complaining so we can be the kind of children of God he wants us to be. That is namely blameless and innocent without any defect. Without any accusation of blame or guilt against us that is legitimate. He says above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And then he says, and it's important, among whom you appear as lights in the world. So again, Paul's saying, look, literally for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the unbeliever, stop grumbling, stop stop complaining. Because it's out of this wicked and perverse generation that men and women need to be saved. Peter's admonition in Acts 2 and 40, with many many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Listen, as messed up as this world is, God hasn't taken us out of it. As messed up as this world is, God has left us in this world as light in a world full of darkness. And living faithfully and purely is an absolute prerequisite to fulfilling the Lord's purposes for which he has left us again to rescue the perishing. To understand that the lost world around us acts the way they do because they have been deceived by Satan and they're caught in his ideological lies. And again, the unbelievers around us are really not the enemy. They're our mission field. And Satan continues to rise up lies against the knowledge of God. And the only thing that can, again, help people who are trapped in these satanic systems is the truth. The only thing that can rescue a person from the domain of darkness and transfer them out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and the kingdom of Christ, again, is the truth. It's the gospel. And we are the only people on the entire planet that know the truth. We're the only people in the entire planet that know the truth. You see that all the time around you when you come in contact with an unbeliever and you stop and go, why why are they thinking so crazy about whatever the issue is? Because if you don't believe the truth, then the only thing left for you to believe is what? A lie. And I tell you often from the pulpit, I don't think what I don't think Satan cares what lie you believe, just as long as you don't believe the truth. You can believe any lie you want. Because people who reject the truth, all they have left for them is lies. And we're the only people on the entire planet that know the truth. Prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent children above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Again, that's why we've been left. That's why Christ left us here in the world, right? To make an impact in this dark world around us. Lights in a dark world. And that's the dramatic impact that a child of God should have. Uh, That's the the kind of impact, dramatic impact that God desires believers to have. Uh, again, in this world that is wicked and perverse, crooked. He wants his children to be like lights in the world. He wants them to be above reproach because you can't have right doctrine without right character. That would be hypocritical and, again, ineffective to the proclamation of the gospel. So how we live is important. So again, God has left us in his wisdom here in this dark culture as his children to shine as lights. And again, we're moral and spiritual luminaries to radiate God's truth in this sinfully dark culture. 
Again, as him as ambassadors, lights and darkness. And that really is the way it's always been for God's people. You go back even to the Old Testament, you go uh, Daniel chapter 12, for instance. Daniel 12, verse 3, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. Those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Isaiah wrote of the Messiah in Isaiah 49, verse 6, he will be a light to the nation so that God's salvation may reach it into the earth. Now I get it when we look around and, and we see the demise of our culture and we're discouraged, disappointed, disappointed in the direction of the country, discouraged by sin and wickedness that's all around us that used to be hidden but now is flaunted out in the open. Disappointed when political power is given to those who promote sin and wickedness and all kinds of evil and they reign over us. But again, in the midst of all of that, we still need to remember that God's still in control. And in his sovereignty, he's working all things for his glory and for our good. And he has left us here for this period of time. He's raised us up for this time. This time that we're living in, this crooked and perverse generation. But again, that's something that's not new. It's something that's been going on since, certainly when Paul wrote, and all the way back in the book of Genesis, you can see it's always been a crooked and perverse generation. But God in his kindness, God in his sovereignty has called us specifically to himself for this moment of time in this culture. And that's one another reason I think we should be all excited about the time we're living in in the, in the history of Cornerstone Bible Church. He's raised us up. He's raising this fellowship up for this moment, for what work he has for us to do. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's all about him. That's why we gather Every single Sunday, we gather to honor him. He's collecting his people through this fellowship. He's left us, again, not taking us out of the world, but left us here to shine his lights into darkness, to preach the truth, proclaim the truth, proclaim the gospel, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, verse 16, holding fast the word of life. So again, the people around us, the people who don't know Christ, they're, they're not the children of God. We're the children of God. Now, I think I read it this morning, right? The children of God and the children of the devil are obvious, right? At John eight forty two, Jesus says to them, If God your Father, you love me, for I proceeded forth, I have come from God. I have not even come to my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father, speaking to the religious, false religious leaders. There's a difference, he's saying, between the children of God and, and those who are the children of the devil. Uh, the children of the devil are liars, they're murderers, deceivers. So we probably shouldn't be surprised by the way they act, by the way they think. Again, they're caught up and they're part of the satanic false ideologies. They're part of this crooked and perverse generation in which we're living. But it's only those who love God, only those who obey God, only those who are God's children who are concerned about how they live, again, righteously, blamelessly, above reproach. It's only God's children who love him and obey his word. So again, be above reproach. Understand light and dark world, and just a little bit of light drives away the darkness. Christ in Matthew 5, verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. See, set on the hill, can't be hidden. Your light, Let your light shine before such men in a way that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So among them you appear as lights in the world, verse 16 again, holding fast the word of life. It really, uh, in the King James, it says holding forth the word of life, and I think that's probably the best translation, especially in the context of a crooked and perverse generation. In the context of a crooked and perverse generation, we're called to appear as lights in a dark world, and the point here is not as believers we should just hold forth or hold on to God's word or God's truth, which we should, but that's not what he's saying. When he says holding fast to the word of God in the NAS or holding forth the word of, uh, of uh, life in the New King or in the King James, I think he, what he's really saying is we should be holding it out. Holding forth. Holding it out. That's what he's saying. 
hold out the redeeming word that changes people's lives, that transforms people's lives, that frees them, men and women, from, again, these uh, satanic lies, these bondages of Satan, and brings hope and brings eternal life. Hold forth the word of God. Hold forth the word of life. Means that we should be proclaiming the gospel so that the Holy Spirit, who's the spirit of life, can bring life to those men whom he chooses, those who repent and place their faith in Christ. Most certainly, every one of us in the room has to know somebody in our sphere on a weekly basis, daily basis, whatever, that doesn't know Christ. Somebody that we interact with on a regular basis. Therefore, we need to be praying that God would give us wisdom on how we'd reach into their world and then pull them into our world as we take time to find out where they are spiritually. Every week in our bulletin, we publish five questions. I think it's underneath that heading, five questions used to share Christ with anyone. Question number one, do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? Number two, to you, who is Jesus? Number three, do you think there's a heaven or hell? Number four, if you died, where would you go? Heaven, where would you go? If heaven, why? Number five, if what you're believing is not true, would you want to know the truth? I mean, we need to know those questions. You need to know those questions. You need to know those questions. You need to use those questions. You need to pray in advance that God would open the minds of those whom you come in contact with on a regular basis that you might have opportunity to share the truth. And you need to be in prayer that you would be what? Faithful. Faithful to hold out, hold forth the, the word. We're not in charge of outcomes. We're not in charge of outcomes. So no doubt we live in troubling times, difficult times. We don't know the future, but we know the one who holds the future in his hands. The one who's sovereign, the one who directs all things according to his plan, his purposes. The one who sits on the throne of the universe, who reigns and rules, and no man will ever thwart his purposes. And all of history is headed towards a point where Christ is going to be ultimately exalted, both in time and eternity, where Christ will put down all of his enemies and rule over them with a rod of iron. So therefore, if you look at it from the biblical perspective, there really is nothing out of control. In the midst of this crooked and perverse generation, all we're seeing is just increased chaos as a result of rebellion against God and against his authority. So again, how do you live? How do you live in the day in which we find ourselves, the day of chaos, a crooked and perverse generation? Well, probably a couple options. You guess, I guess you could probably choose to live in fear, right? You could be anxious like the culture around you, or we could take our stand on the Word of God and we could trust Him. John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Did I teach on that? Did I teach an entire hour on that one verse? Psalm 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world lives. I give to you. Do I give to you? Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Did I preach an entire sermon on that? One verse. Living by fear or living by faith are the only two options. Habakkuk 2, verse 4 says, The righteous man is called to live by his faith. So we live in a time, as I said previously, where, the, where fear really is the coin of the realm, so to speak. Everybody fears everything. People fear other people. People feel, fear circumstances, situations, viruses, wars, famines, global warming. As God's people, we're not to fear any of that kind of stuff. Listen. The only right object of fear in the entire universe is God himself. The only right object of fear in the entire universe is God himself. Because what misplaced fear does, it causes us to turn our attention to the circumstance and not to God. Misplaced fear causes us to turn our attention to the circumstance that is before us and not to the person of God in Christ. Misplaced fear causes us to look at the temporal and not to the eternal. Listen, misplaced fear causes us to run to safety and not take risks that could be for someone else's eternal benefit. So we're to fear God and nobody else, nothing else. We're to trust him, trust his sovereign purposes, his nature, his character, his goodness. And then again, we leave all the outcomes, all the results to him. 
and remembering the fact that he again is on the throne. He reigns. He causes all things to work out for his glory, our good. And in the midst of troubling times, we can praise the fact that our God is our God and not our judge. Amen? He's our Father in heaven. The one who says, again, I am God, there's no other. I am God, there's no one like me, declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times. Things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established. I'll accomplish all my good pleasure. If God's in charge and all of his purposes and plans are going to be established just like he has planned from eternity, again, why would we stay up at night and worry about anything? And realizing also, Lamentations 3.37 says, Who's there speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it is not from the mouth of the Most High both good and ill go forth. Why should any living mortal or any man offer a complaint in view of his sins? Again, we're back to grumbling and complaining because we think we deserve something other than judgment. Jeremiah says both ill and good go forth from him. Whatever happens in the culture, whatever happens in the world is under the sovereign control of God. And under his complete sovereign control, under his complete infinite wisdom and his perfect love. And I don't have to go through all this. You know that. Almost every page of scripture is something about the sovereignty of God. It's either asserted or expressly or implicitly. We need to remember God's in charge. We remember the people around us are lost, they're deceived. Unless they come to a knowledge of the truth, unless they repent and come to Christ, they're going to face a terrifying judgment in eternity. Therefore, God has left us as his representatives in a crooked and perverse generation to do what no one else can do, to be that light, to hold forth again the word of life, to point men and women to the person of Christ. Again, not fearful, always trusting, always thankful. Always thanking the Lord again that he is our God, he's our loving Heavenly Father. And then praying that God would give us opportunities, praying that we'd be faithful, praying that God would open the eyes of those who are blind around us so they might see the glory of the person of Christ. And again, it's only the truth that exposes the darkness. It's only light into the darkness that leads person to the person of Jesus Christ. I think as you consider the world and where it's at and all the confusion that's out there, I think another thing we need to be mindful of is we need to be intentional. I think we need to really stop and evaluate our lives. It doesn't mean there's not time for down things, but but we need to be intentional and be involved and intentionally involved in those things that have eternal value, not wasting a great deal of our time on things that don't, because time's short and eternity's coming. And while the truth, the proclamation of the truth, is going to be offensive to some, for others it's going to be freeing. Somebody shared the truth with you at some point in your life that you didn't believe until finally God in his kindness opened your eyes and you saw the glory of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You repented. And you came out of darkness. And we need to be faithful to that task, just replicating what God's asked us to do because men who are trapped in darkness desperately need the truth. Well, I have numbers of things just written down here, more things I could say. We have to be intentional. We have to be intentionally others-oriented. Philippians 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another more important than himself, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but the interests of others. That's vital in the world in which we live. And again, in this crooked and perverse generation, again, we have to proclaim the gospel. Unsheath the sword, proclaim the gospel, because it's the power of God. Uh, again, Paul says, I'm not ashamed. How many Christians do you think are ashamed of the gospel? Tough question. Man, they might think I'm weird. It's okay. We think you're weird anyway. So just get over it. <laughs> right? We've got to stop being so self-centered. The word of life, light in a dark world. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteous man shall live by faith, right? 
We should never be ashamed of the gospel. We need to be bold in our witness. And if we're bold in our witness, we probably ought to expect what? Pushback. Suffering for the cause of Christ. I say this often too. I think we really need to de-Americanize our Christianity. By that I mean we need to develop a biblical doctrine of suffering. Because as Americans, we don't have a category for suffering. Again, I, I signed up for cruise ship Christianity. I want stuff delivered to my room. I want it to be nice, calm seas. Americans don't have a category for suffering. Many believers around the world don't know peace. All they know is suffering. Gage on it on a daily basis. A de-Americanized understanding of suffering would say that if we're living in reality of who we are in a lost world, Jesus says, Matthew 5.10, Blessed are you who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad. That's a biblical view of suffering. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Persecution is what the kingdom of heaven should expect from the world that is against God and against Christ. And Jesus Christ said it was going to happen. Uh, John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before you. If you're of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. Paul said the same thing in 2 Timothy 3 and 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We need to develop a proper understanding of persecution when it comes. Because if you and I start living our life righteously in a crooked and perverse generation, if we start living our life in a manner that is identified with the person of Jesus Christ, that is too close to the person of Jesus Christ, then those men in this world who live in this crooked and perverse generation in a world of darkness, those men who don't live their life like this way, those men who are in rebellion against God and Christ, those who are living lies and not what they ought to be, they're going to hold you in contempt. They're going to ridicule you. They're going to persecute you with words, and if not, then physically and or both. But Jesus says, blessed are you that have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Got to think deeply on these things. Peter says, 1 Peter 3.14, even if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart and always be ready to make a defense for everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. First Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised by the fire ordeal which comes among you, which comes for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you, keep, that you share in the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. It's a crooked and perverse generation. We've got to think through this issue. We've got to stop grumbling, complaining. We've got to start living blameless lives. We've got to start living as light, holding forth the word, understanding where the battle is, understanding who the mission field is versus who are our enemies, being kind to those around us who are trapped in these ideological satanic fortresses, intentionally holding forth the word of life, finding out where people are on a spiritual level, always living without fear, always trusting in God and his sovereign purposes, being intentionally involved in those things that have eternal value and stop wasting a lot of our time. As we intentionally live with an others-oriented mentality, just like Christ did. Preparing to reach the hearts of those around us. Going into their world, if you take your bulletin out and you look in the bulletin every week, you'll see the mission of Cornerstone Bible Church. Cornerstone Bible Church exists to give every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to hear, understand, accept, or reject the gospel without them having to come or go anywhere. That means that you all signed up to be missionaries because that's what Christ has called you to be as his ambassadors. You represent him. So you have to be finding ways to do that. You, you can't wait for a program. We're not going to start one. You're going to start one. You find ways to reach into your world. You pray that God gives you wisdom, and then you launch forward, and you pray God, that God gives you ways to interact with people around you that don't understand the truth. You have breakfast at the same place every week, or you buy your groceries at the, from the same uh, 
uh, in the same line with the same checker that you can have an opportunity to talk to them. We need to continue to fight for the truth, proclaim the truth, guard our minds from the error of the cultural decline, uh, again, because the doctrines of demons are taking a strong foothold in this country. And let me tell you what, there's a whole lot of undiscerning pastors that can't figure it out. They can't tell the truth from error. A lot of them bringing error right into their church. We've got to make sure we're not caught up into that error. We understand the truth, can protect the truth, defend the truth, understand the subtleties, understand that everything that glitters isn't gold. There's fool's gold out there. And a lot of pastors in our day have brought it into their church, forgetting that Satan likes to masquerade as an angel of light. And again, the only way that you can protect yourself from error is to know the truth. You've got to become discerning. I think it was Spurgeon who said this. He said, Here's the definition of discernment. Spurgeon said the definition of discernment is knowing what is right from what is almost right. It's not enough for you to come here on Sunday. I'm thankful you do, but it's not enough for you to come here on Sunday. That's important. But you've got to be in the Word on a regular basis on your own. In the Word, not so much in the world. Turn it off. If it is electric, if it plugs in, if it uses a battery, throw it away. Unplug it. Most of TV, maybe all of TV, except sports, of course. (laughs) Most of TV and the Internet is nothing but a cesspool. Pick up your Bible. Start getting a whole lot more serious about the truth. Realize the bore. Realize the day and age in which we're living. Protect the body. Build up the body of Christ. Expect persecution to come. Love this group of people that God in his kindness has put you a part of. Be committed to the next generation. I said it earlier, man. Look at all the kids. They're going to come and they're going to go. We have a short window with the kids. A short window. That means not that you dump them off on Kids for Truth, as thankful as I am for that ministry, but it means if you're a father in the home, God's called you to lead. If you're a woman, there's got to be younger women around you who need you to be an encouragement to them. If you're a mother and you have kids, you have to be faithful to train your children. Again, if you're somebody in the fellowship that's not actively involved in the membership or in the fellowship by serving, you need to become involved. Be obedient to Christ. Use the gifts that he's given you. Be a blessing to the body. It'll help you grow as you become Christ and others-oriented. You can say, well, I don't have that gift in this. I can't speak. Nobody's asking you to speak. We've got no more room up here in the pulpit. I got it, right? Find something else that you can do. Do something. There's always ways to love people. There's always ways to encourage people. Commit yourself to daily study of the word and prayer. Open your home. My my home's not clean. It doesn't matter. Just open your home. They They didn't come to do a photo shoot for home and garden or whatever. They came to visit you. Open your home. Have families over. Have single people over. Have college students over. We're starting to get a number of, uh, of uh, folks who uh, have lost their spouses. For others oriented, maybe we should think about inviting them to be a part of our family and do the things that we do. If you're a man, you really should be a part of uh, the men's fellowship. Men's Bible study meets the second and fourth Tuesday of the month. There's about 40 guys that come on a regular basis. When I tell other people that, you know what they do? Their jaw drops. Forty? I said, yeah, on a regular basis. We don't have room to put them. We got to do all kinds of goofy things with the tables to get everybody in the room. Forty people. It's encouraging. You should be a part of that. Women's Bible studies meeting on the Tuesday morning at 10, right, in the room right behind me, and then in the evening, I think, uh, at the Palacios house. Small groups. I counted. There's seven of them at least. To be a part of one of those. Say, well, I don't have time. Get time. Make time. Be a part of that because you're an encouragement and a blessing to those families and to you will be blessed by them just being in interaction with them. 
somewhere down the road. I'm not sure when. I told a couple of guys this already, but I'd like to see a family's retreat, a parent's retreat, family camp. I don't know what we're going to call it. We, we need to be encouraging our young families. I just said it a couple of times. We've got a bazillion kids, a bazillion young families that have never had children, Who us who are older and have kind of gone through it before. We need to be a blessing to those folks. Maybe it's a camp. We get away, shut off all the electronic stuff, and just spend some time together. Again, a number of young families, young children, parents. I am so thankful for the parents' night out because there's so many parents that have no time to themselves because all they're doing is raising children. And we who are through that already, we need to be a blessing and encouragement to those around us by giving them a break. And like the college students are doing, giving them a break. That's a tremendous encouragement. I mean, just a couple hours. But that goes back to this others-oriented mindset, right? We've got the culture going crazy under a satanic attack, but us in the body of Christ and the fellowship need to always be looking at how we can love each other and encourage each other. I mean, I could go on and on, which you're probably not surprised by, but I probably need to bring it to a close. We have great opportunity, great responsibility. We need to be intentional, faithful, others-oriented for the purpose of exalting Christ. Always thankful for what God has done, what God is doing in and through us, as we have a privilege of ministering to each other in this fellowship and to others whom God brings in our path. And we are just so blessed by God to be a part of this fellowship at this time in this crooked and perverse generation as we live as lights in this darkness. Our Father and our God, we're so thankful just for the day we've had in worship, the day we've had opening your word. And so thankful for your kindness to this fellowship and uh, kindness to us as uh, men and women redeeming us through Christ. We have much uh, to be thankful for, and we are thankful. We have much uh, that needs to be done in the future, and you know that because you're the one who keeps uh, sending people our direction. So we trust you to give us wisdom and direction when it's time for us to make some kind of uh, movement. So just continue to give us wisdom as we try to go to two services and try to accommodate the folks and bring on new leaders and try to be an encouragement to them as they want to be an encouragement to your people whom you have assembled help us to be mindful of those around us who we know on a personal level that are lost and that we can be an encouragement to and keep pointing to christ just like you and your kindness pointed us to christ through someone in our past thank you for this fellowship thank you for allowing us all to be a part of it and we bless your name and bless the name of our savior the lord jesus christ amen